Amy, we're going to go live to the Riverside County Sheriff's Headquarters and update on the uh, kids that were found uh, in that house there in Paris. Investigation was brought to our attention on Sunday, January 14, 2018, um, just before six o'clock in the morning. A 17-year-old girl called 911 from a deactivated cell phone and reported that her siblings were being held against their will and some were chained. Deputies responded, met with that 17-year-old nearby, and she explained that she had escaped through a window uh, from from that residence. The 17-year-old also showed some photos uh, that led the deputies to believe that the information she was provided was accurate. Deputies and a supervisor responded to that location, conducted a welfare check to check on the additional siblings in that home. There were a total of 13 siblings located, six of which were under the age of 18. Um, Deputies, when they arrived inside the house, they noticed that the children were malnourished. It was uh, very dirty, and the conditions were horrific. The parents and children, biological parents and children, were taken to the Paris Sheriff's Station for further investigation. AMR and CAL FIRE also responded to check on the uh, children, their well-being, all the siblings, and our uh, Child Protective Services and Adult Protective Services were also uh, dispatched to our location to assist us with the investigation. During the investigation, we discovered that the parents and children have lived in the city of Paris since approximately 2014. They were homeschooled um, at that residence. There's no indication that there were any other uh, students or children residing in that residence. However, at this time, the investigation is still ongoing, so we're not going to rule anything out. Um, I wish I could come to you today with information that would explain why this happened. Um, But we do need to acknowledge the courage of the young girl who escaped from that residence to bring attention so they could get the help that they so needed. As I indicated earlier, we're working with Child Protective Services, Adult Protective Services, and medical professionals to ensure that the victims get the help that they need. With that being said, I would now like to introduce the mayor of the city of Paris, Michael Vargas. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming out. I can truly say that I'm devastated at this act of cruelty and heartfelt for the victims. I can't begin to imagine the pain and suffering that they have endured. I'm very grateful for our police department for their swift response and acting upon this, receiving this information of this incident. And I have faith that uh, our investigators will complete a thorough investigation. This is a very happy and tight, hardworking family community And I know I speak on behalf of the residents of Paris that our thoughts and prayers are with the victims as they endure the next few weeks that are coming up. And I thank everybody behind me for helping out in this investigation. Thank you. On behalf of the Department of Public Social Services, I want to acknowledge that we are actively working closely and cooperatively with the Sheriff's Department on this investigation. 
Our foremost concern at this time is the health and well-being of all of the children. And we will be seeking court authorization to provide oversight and care for the children, including the adult children, to the extent that that's necessary. Uh, I, I am immensely grateful for the young child being willing to make that call to 911. Otherwise, we would not have had the opportunity to intervene. And we want to highlight the importance uh, the community plays in providing us with information about abuse and neglect. And we encourage anyone in the community to call our hotlines or call law enforcement whenever they have a concern about abuse or neglect, whether it is uh, impacting a child, a disabled adult, or a senior. Thank you. I'm Susan Von Zabern, Director of the Department of Public Social Services. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Dr. Sophia Grants. I'm the Medical Director of the Child Abuse Unit at Riverside University Health System. In general, when uh, caring for children such as these, uh, the immediate need would be to uh, address the concerns that we have about their health and well-being. Uh, they would require stabilization. And in cases of starvation, we would have to uh, slowly uh, start to feed them to uh, avoid any problems that refeeding may cause. In addition to the medical needs, we would also do assessments, whether it be uh, CT scans, x-rays, or any type of diagnostic studies to uh, assure that nothing else is going on. Uh, the long-term needs of these kids are going to be uh, the psychological and psychiatric needs um, um, due to the prolonged periods of um, starvation mal uh, and maltreatment. Um, thank you. Good morning. My name is uh, Mark Uffer. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at Corona Regional Medical Center in, in Corona. Um, we have um, seven of the adults. Um, it's hard to think of them as adults when you first see them because they're, they're small and it's very clear that they're um, malnutritioned. Uh, we've done some lab work on them. We can't tell you a lot because of HIPAA uh, other than we, they're, they're stable. Um, they're being fed uh, um, to try to refeed as was discussed. Um, they're um, comfortable and they're in a very safe and secure environment and I think that's the most important thing for them right now. Uh, we want to work closely with all the uh, different agencies in the county uh, to make sure that they're um, treated appropriately um, and at this point uh, I think they're stable and safe and uh, we want to respect their privacy. They've gone through a very traumatic ordeal. Um, I can tell you that they're, they're very uh, friendly, they're, um, they're very cooperative and I believe that they're hopeful that life will get better for them uh, after this event. So thank you very much. And with that, we'll be prepared to answer some uh, questions. We're listening yes, to sir. a news conference out of Riverside County after the uh, 13 kids were taken out of the house in the city of Paris. Is there, is the Seven of them, not kids. <laughs> 18 to 29. Okay. Um, in regards to your first question, um, the I can't get into the specific details of the conversation, but it seemed that the mother was perplexed as to why we were uh, at, at that residence. 
Had you had prior contact with them uh, in the past, law enforcement? No, sir. We had no prior contacts um, at that residence regarding um, uh, any allegations of, of uh, child abuse or neglect. Or anything else? What about calls for service? Regarding anything else, we had no other contacts at that residence. How long have they been held captive for? I want to follow up on that one thing, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to also ask, the reception you received from the children, were they excited to see you? Were they happy? And we were also, I think from you, your department, we got indications that they said to you that they were hungry, they wanted food. Can you go into the reception that you received from the children? I don't have a description to provide to you regarding the specific reception, but the children were in fact fed. Yes, sir. Um, how many of them were indeed shackled? I mean, I gather that not all of them were shackled. A lot of the neighbors say the adults actually would come outside from them. There are at least a couple that were uh, found uh, shackled in that condition. I don't have that exact amount. At least so, a couple. Captain Bellis. Um, yes. I spoke to the family last night, David uh, Turpin's parents, and they said that this seemed like a happy family, but they also said that they were a very religious family. They taught their kids the Bible. They actually instructed them to memorize large sections of it. Is there anything having to do with religion? Could religion have caused this? Is this some sort of cult or an offshoot of religion that made them treat their children like this? As of right now, I have no information regarding any uh, religious organization associated, associated with this matter. But again, we're still in the very early stages of this investigation, and our detective bureau is conducting a meticulous and detailed uh, investigation. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You said the conditions were horrific. Do you have any specifics about what you actually saw in the house? Some of our staff described that there was, uh, it was, uh, there was a very foul smell inside the residence. Um, it was extremely dirty, and uh, as we reported uh, previously, uh, many of the children were malnourished. Were they only found in bedrooms, or were they also found in the garage, any other places that maybe are not suitable for bedrooms? Yeah, I don't have the information of where they were located specifically. Any sense of how long they were down there for, or how long they had been held captive? No, sir. I don't have that information, but again, um, it's very early on in our investigation, and those are questions that we want to get answered. We want that we want to get answered as well. Sir, in yesterday's press conference, you might have you said in yesterday's press conference you noted that they have been physically and psychologically abused for decades. What gives you that indication? Well, again, as part of our investigation, interviews have been conducted in this matter. I can't get, since it's an ongoing case and we're preparing our case to be submitted to the Riverside County District Attorney's Office for filing, um, I can't get into the specific statements, um, but that information was included in that press release. Captain, did, did the family, where did they live before here, like te uh, Texas or West Virginia, and are you checking into whether they fled trouble in your previous uh, residences? The information that we have is that they previously lived for a period of time in the city of Marietta, and there is information that they previously lived uh, in the state of Texas, and that's additional information that we are following up on as part of our investigation to get to the bottom of that as well. Captain, it's a difficult yes. topic because it, some are minors, but is there any indication of sexual abuse? Right now, we don't have any information to indicate that, but again, very early on in our investigation, we have substantial amount of interviews still to, to conduct. 
Um, so we hope to get to the bottom of that, of that as well. Yes, Captain, sir. Captain, you, you, in the press release that you sent out, you said that the children were, were tortured. Can you describe how they were tortured? Well, again, I can't get into the specifics of that, but if you can imagine um, being 17 years old and appearing to be a 10-year-old, um, being chained to a bed, um, being malnourished and um, um, injuries associated with that, um, I would call that torture. Well, again, those are some of the things that we are still investigating, and part of that ongoing investigation, I can't release all those details at this time. When will the case be filed with the chain to a bed? Upon entering the room, did the deputies actually find children chained to a bed? Describe the situation. Yes, yes. In, in regards to uh, when deputies went in, there were, how many people did we have? There were three individuals that were uh, chained to some type of furniture inside the residence. Can you confirm that the, um, both of the adults, the, calling the father and the mother, are the biological parents of all of the children? And the second question is, did any other agencies have contact with the home? They were homeschooled. Were there any education officials who followed up? Neighbors at code enforcement was out there. Did they ever find anything unusual? Uh, again, we had no call history at that residence. Uh, to indicate that this type of activity was occurring there. Without what about the blood relatives? The are they all blood? To the two parents? Are they all the, those the biological parents? Fr from what we know right now, they are the biological parents of all of the children. You mentioned that the mother seemed to be confused as to why you guys were questioning her as to what was going on. Um, what was the father's reaction to the deputy? I don't have that reaction for you today. Can you explain again why you consider it torture? Just go through what you saw that makes you in your mind think it was torture. Can you do that again for us, please? Well, again, if, if you can imagine when you have adults who appear that they're, they're children and they're so mal, malnourished um, and, and they're not being fed and they're living in these uh, uh, filthy, uh, dirty conditions, um, uh, that's going to take its toll. Captain Bellows, is there any indication, or have you been able to understand why none of the kids came forward earlier? Uh, if they were able to leave, apparently they had cars, why didn't they plot an escape or go to the authorities sooner? Well, that's a good question, but one, as I indicated earlier, um, I appreciate the courage that this uh, juvenile had to escape that house and get out there and report this to law enforcement. Can you tell you what precipitated that particular escape? Yeah, can you tell us more day? about that? I don't have uh, any information regarding this that. I'll take two more questions. Yes, sir. Uh, you said that the mother was perplexed. Um, are we looking at mental illness as a possible reason for this? There's no indication of mental illness at this time. One can more question. Also, can, you, can you also speak to the fact that it looks like the family had a much more uh, present social media presence and then they sort of disappeared off of that. Does it seem, based on the conversations you're having with them, that there seemed to be a moment that changed for this family when things started to go unravel? I can't make any conclusion regarding that. Um, I've seen the Facebook uh, posts like many of you have, um, so I can't come to a conclusion or indicate if, if something changed or what uh, came to uh, the, uh, the, the juvenile escaping that particular night. Uh, but again, we're so glad that um, she had the courage to do so, and we're going to uh, continue this investigation. We're going to conduct a meticulous investigation, and we're going to get answers to all these questions. And, and that's all right, that was a press conference out of Riverside about this house of horrors, these, these parents that kept the 13-year-old kids from 2 to 29 years old, some of them, at least three of them, shackled to different furniture in the house. 
Him saying that there was no sign of mental illness kind of contradicts one of his earlier statements when he says the mother was surprised when authorities turned up on the doorstep. Yeah. If the mother was surprised that authorities were there when she had her at least at three least of her three kids, kids chained and, yeah. and their kids are all malnourished, that is a sign of mental illness. Yeah. There's a, there's this family, uh, these parents, I should say, there's something going on there. Uh, and you can't ignore that. The question, by the way, the last question uh, of the uh, the captain there for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department was perhaps the most important, which was, was there a moment, was there something that happened to the family uh, two years ago that then changed what was going on or, or accelerated whatever was going on? Because we, I mean, for years, neighbors had said, yeah, we saw the, we saw the kids, but and they were always skinny, and they didn't speak to us, and they were pale. Something may have happened two years ago because they do have all those happy social media posts of them in Vegas with the renewal of the vow ceremonies and at Disneyland. But you don't get a hold on your kids, especially adult kids, in two years. No. This was a family. These were were was either the father or or the father and the mother together using religion, maybe as part of it, that had a hold on these kids for their entire lives and the, mentally the thing is if you're 20 what was the oldest 27 years old if you're 20 29. 29 if you're 29 years old and you've grown up in that house where every once in a while mom and dad have an attitude and you get shackled to the bed you don't know any different if you're homeschooled you don't have the socialization that you would in a normal day where you would say to your kids to your buddies hey i got shackled to bed last night you got what that's not normal. Families are like wildfires. They make their own weather. They make their own ecosystem. This family, these kids probably, like you said, didn't know that this was wrong until maybe they said there were cell phones in the house. Maybe there was some sneaking of the cell phones. Maybe somebody realized that this is not the way life is supposed to work. It's fascinating, though, when you talk about seven kids 18 to 29 and you just wonder if there's any special needs situations going on with those adult kids or or what um but wow the the girl who they thought was 10 years old but turned out to be 17 had crawled through a window and she knew there was something wrong because when she called 911 it was look at these photos we are uh, hungry. There are my siblings chained. She knew that that was not okay. My money's on her probably talking to someone online, you know, and saying this is what's going on and them saying that's not normal. Well, and that would be interesting to see if what sort of presence there is online for the kids. Because, I mean, we've seen the family. We've seen the mom and dad. By the way, Facebook, I don't know why you haven't taken that page down yet. But we've seen these kids looking, you know, a little emaciated, a little pale, a little strange in that all of the girls are wearing the same dress and all the boys are wearing the same haircut and stuff. I, I, That's, you know, hey, that's a fashion choice that I don't agree with, but that's fine. The question is, what sort of access did those kids have to social media, if any? If mom and dad were able to post this stuff on Facebook, what did the kids have? Probably and, not much. I think that's how you control children is you are in control of everything that they see and that they hear and that they eat and that they're exposed to. These are kids that did not look like they got a lot of sunlight. I know there's probably nutritional issues that make their skin that pale as well. Um, obviously, mom and dad aren't uh, bronzed people, but I'm just saying that that's that's kids that don't see a hell of a lot of sunlight. And 
it's just so sad when you when you hear things like we have to refeed them. Re-feed we have to, slowly, you have to slowly refeed them because refeed them. giving them too much food is a shock to their system that right. could potentially put them in even more danger. It just seems like dad was the was the ringleader and dad's probably not playing with a, well, for a full deck of cards either. But for the mother, that was the biggest thing that came out of this press conference for me, hearing him say that the mother was perplexed. Why would you be here? Why would why would you take issue with my kids chained to furniture? I don't know. Uh, this is a uh, this is a story. We'll get into a little bit more about what we know about David and Louise Turpin and their kids, what sort of history they have, and what it is that I mentioned that last question. What it is of uh, about the social media clues that we do have? Why this may have taken a turn at some point two years ago? I kind of feel like it didn't, though. I feel like you these like this kids was just going on were screwed up for a long time. They had control over these kids. It was just a uh, Yes, I feel like it was a very um, cut-off household and that these were a couple outings, these vow renewal things at this Elvis Chapel. In Vegas? In Vegas, and this Disneyland trip or a couple Disneyland trips. You don't see any pictures of everyday life with the kids. There's a couple pictures of the mom with the youngest baby at the beach or in a park or whatever, but... You don't see pictures of everyday life. You, you see your friends' pictures, or my friends' pictures that have kids, and you see them uh, all sorts of the kids in all sorts of different places. At the soccer game, normal the... stuff, soccer game, volleyball. Uh, you know, these people seem to have like three outings in the past five years, and I'm just wondering if that was just because the kids did not get allowed out very much. I don't think that these are pictures of a normal family life. You know what I mean? Just yeah. because the kids are smiling. Here's I have a couple of questions also about the as I was going through their web their uh, Facebook page last night, I realized there's a bunch of people who are looking at this. And this was before, you know, this was uh 12 14 hours ago. So this is before everybody got their grubby paws on this stuff. And there were there were comments from people like, "Hey, I love your kids. I love that you have 13 of them. Your baby is so beautiful. The girls are so gorgeous. You're such a great mom." Beautiful family. Wait a minute. So if you're Facebook friends with this horde, you know that something's going no, on. No, you don't. You, you've you got to know that something's no. going on. No, you wouldn't. You just if look I at those play, and wait a minute, it's a wait big a family. If, and those are, you know, what, you know what you just said, Facebook friends. Do you know how much true, that's worth? Okay, yes. It's worth nothing. I'll give you that. But if I had if I had friends who had one, two, th- if they had 13 kids and all of them looked like they weighed under 90 pounds... I would start raising questions in my own head. I, I would wait a minute. What's going on there? Why? Why does? Why do you? Not one of your children has any muscle tone. I don't know how many of those Facebook friends are real friends or just people that latch onto a big family on Facebook. Maybe there's a God connection. There's no Bible. There's no Bible verse that tells you no, to no, chain no. kids I'm saying, to beds. I'm saying a God connection to a big family. For strangers to oh, be Facebook friends. Like, hey, my, my quiver is full. Your it's, quiver is exactly. full. We're the full quiver club. Exactly. With a Q. All right. When we come back, a little bit more on this and more details about what's going on. These 13 children, adult and juvenile children, taken from a home in Paris. And the parents are, uh, man, they appear to be a mess. We'll hey, talk about that. We also. Let's give away this money. Oh, I love that. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. And don't forget, if you win, they will give you a call, but it might be from a number you don't recognize. So, uh, And if you don't win, well, just play again next hour or the hour after that or after that. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. God, I'm beginning to think that that dad and mom are both certifiable. Oh, you can't do this alone. You, yeah, you can't. They're both nuts. Um, we're talking about the 13 siblings taken from that home in Paris on Sunday. 911 call came in first thing Sunday morning from a teenage girl. She had managed to escape the family's home. Her parents had been holding her captive and her brothers and sisters were still locked inside. In fact, uh, we just found out that at least three of them were chained to furniture when Riverside County Sheriff's deputies showed up. And again, when they when they met this girl, this seventeen year old girl outside, they thought she was ten because of how small she was. She was emaciated, and now we know from the doctors as well that they were in such a bad physical condition that they have to refeed them very very slowly because too much would be a shock to their system. So the authorities show up on the doorstep. They find at least three more kids chained to furniture in the house, and mom is surprised that they're there. Now, if you had your kids chained to the furniture and the cops showed up on your doorstep, you're like, oh, man, I knew it. You got me. But she had no idea why that would be odd. Now, we don't know a whole lot about uh, David and Louise other than uh, David was earning a pretty nice salary, 140,000 a year at Northrop Grumman. We don't know exactly what he was doing, but when he filed for bankruptcy back in 2011, they said that they were between $100,000 and $500,000 in debt and that obviously they had huge expenses. You cannot have 15 people in one house without having a huge grocery bill. Well, unless you're not feeding them. Well, that's one way to cut down on it. But they said that the family's expenses exceeded his pay by over $1,000 a month. Um, their bankruptcy lawyer told the New York Times that the couple often spoke fondly of their children, but he never saw them. And he says, we remember them as a very nice couple. This is shocking. These kids were all homeschooled, as if you can imagine. Seven of them, again, over the age of 18. And that's what's so perplexing to me, is I understand parents having power over the little kids. But I guess there's only one way to have power over the big kids, kids that are over 18 to 29 years old. The only way to have power over those kids the adult children, is to have had power over them their entire lives. Cut off the family. Cut off the family, no social media, no public school, no, no socialization friends. socialization no outside friends of the, the family. The, you haven't heard anything from friends of these kids. You haven't heard anything from kids that were homeschooled with them. This was a family completely cut off, and these kids grew up thinking that this was normal until one of them, at least one of them, realized it wasn't. Now, they've been in this home for some time, but even if that's the case, the oldest of the kids is 29. That kid has got to have some, I don't know, some sense about that this didn't feel right. And and the, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department credits the 17-year-old with having enough sense to be able to get out of that house, take a cell phone, well, whether... The- 
and and to call 911 on Sunday morning. The 29-year-old has lived in that house the longest, so maybe she's the most screwed up or he's the most screwed up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it required one of the younger kids that got some wind of something to be like, wait a minute here. Um, one of the reporters talked to the dad's parents last night, and the parents said that this was a happy family, very religious, that the kids would memorize large sections of the Bible. There are families that that happens in. You know, religious families r- routinely will have, you know, Bible studies or, you know, having kids memorize parts of the Bible. But you wonder if there was, uh, I don't know. I mean, religion can be pretty powerful. Yeah, but. I know there's no part of the Bible that says shackle your kids to the furniture. Well, but there I mean, is maybe honor there's some, the, there's, the, there may be some Old Testament stuff. There is just, uh, honor the mother and father. Do what they say. <laughs> there's a lot of that. <laughs> now, the the parent, like you said, they said they that they had visit had not visited the family over the last several years, but had spoken to them on the phone, although they hadn't spoken to the grandkids. What grandparent doesn't speak to their grandkids for five years? Unless the grandparents are in Texas and of no means. Remember, they said they lived in Murrieta before and then Texas maybe before that. So I'm assuming that maybe if, if the grandparents are in another state, they had some they had some people on their Facebook page from Virginia, I believe, maybe some cousins or something. So maybe their family wasn't out here and didn't know the conditions. I'm just uh, there's a couple there's a couple of outlying things to this story that that are going to bug me until we get them wrapped up. The first one and the most odd is this Elvis impersonator at the Elvis Chapel in Vegas. He was at every single one of the ceremonies that they did, and there were there appear to be at least three. I'm assuming they probably did more of those. You think he? No, no, no. Bet- I mean, no, you know no, what no, no, no. crap he has no, seen yes, in his life. That's not this what I'm saying. This is like normal. This is like a. This is a nice little family. Ex- I mean, he's probably yes. had guys doing blow off hookers behind. This is the least ceremony. exciting of his stories. That I know exactly, that. Yeah. But I want to know what that guy thought when you got a couple with 13 kids in tow you and you're what? renewing vows. Here's what I'll, I'll tell you about that guy. He's not a judger. He does not judge one second of his day. You know, the other question we had uh, was, who gets to him first? Like, which news outlet gets to that Elvis yeah. impersonator first to ask him about, uh, hey, you remember that family that came in that had 13 kids? Whoever gets to the uh, to the downtown Vegas uh, <laughs> glitter gulch first. The other outlying question here is, where the hell are the neighbors? Well, I read one account from a neighbor yesterday. I believe it was the Associated Press article. And the neighbor said, yeah, the kids, they wouldn't, you would, you would see them hanging up Christmas lights or whatever, right, as an anecdote. And you would say to them something like, oh, those look good. And the kids would never respond. And one of the neighbors said she realized that they were pale and that they looked like they weren't nourished very well, but that she didn't want to think bad of people. And that reminded me of the San Bernardino Tashfeen Malik neighbors that said, well, yeah, we noticed that they were, you know, building bombs bombs in their garage. But, you know, we didn't want to profile them. We thought it was just a hobby bomb. We didn't know it was a terrorist (laughs) bomb. This is this is probably one of the disturbing parts of it is that we today in this day and age communicate via Facebook all the time, and very very rarely do we know our neighbors, the people who live next door to us. When Facebook is what we take as someone's life, this is what happens. Yeah. You know, we we look at Facebook, and we think it, 
that that that's that person's life. Oh, look at those kids are happy. Oh, look at what a happy marriage. We all know that it's all a facade for some people. It's just it's a weird Chris and Carlo, by the way, has been covering the story. He was there at the news conference. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to get uh, we're going to get Chris's take on what we've heard so far about this. Still a bunch going on as well. For example, Steve Bannon was subpoenaed by special counsel, so he'll be in to testify we still have updates on the Montecito. Um, 20 people dead, now three missing, still oh, listed as missing. And new details about the murder of Blaze oh, Bernstein. That guy's doing court today, as a matter of fact. Yeah, we'll talk to Andrew Mullenbeck coming up next hour. All right. Gary and Shannon will continue. If I would have just laid my drink down and walked down, well, I wouldn't be in my truck. Tuesday, January 16th. Next hour, Monica Ricks is going to join us. She is actually in Colorado. Uh, among other things, she has visited the International Church of Cannabis. Trying to figure out how it's all shaked out there in Get Denver. It, shake. In, oh, I didn't. It's still drug Gosh, term. Gosh, so clever. It's like drugs. It's like hot rails. Shake. Mm, now we're going to get the hot rails emails about how we don't know what that is. But what is the landscape for pot in California going to look like in a couple of years? And Colorado may be sort of the uh, the window to what we have in our future. But we continue this uh, story. These 13 siblings taken from this home in Paris. The parents in jail now. $9 million bail. Uh, several counts of child endangerment and abuse. And uh, it looks like they'll be in court probably on Thursday. And uh, just just a bizarre case where these... These siblings between the ages of 2 and 29, some of them shackled to furniture, whether it was a bed or whatever. And uh, Dark, the deputies who went into the house, described it as foul-smelling. This is going to be a hell of a media tour when the reporters get their hands on these kids. Man, because the there's seven of them. The majority of them are adults. So they are... Fully within their right to answer questions about their parents and the conditions that they found themselves in. We were wondering who was going to get their hands on the Elvis impersonator first. David tweeted us at Gary and Shannon that Channel 11 interviewed the Elvis. He calls him the Elvis priest. The Elvis <laughs> priest last night. Okay. You know what? The, he brings up kind of a good point there. Um, I don't know if he meant to. But anyway, he says that uh, they looked happy and normal all three times. But again... An Elvis impersonator at a chapel in Vegas is going to say that about probably everybody. You know what I mean? Yes. He's not going to roll on anyone. That guy has been in, that guy's got so many skeletons. So just many stories. Because of the nature of his work. Oh, boy. He could be called as a witness to probably. Many murders. Ten felonies a week. <laughs> yes. Just from what he sees. Uh, but you know what? You bring up a good point. If you, he brings up a good point. Even if you if you are super religious, right? If you're having your kids memorize long passages from the Bible, are you going to renew your vows yes. with an Elvis impersonator? Excellent point. I thought about that last night. That if this, you know, if this is a religious family or that they claim to, you know, be doing things because God told them to have a bazillion kids, what did God tell you to go to an Elvis impersonator in Vegas of all places? I can't imagine that that would be a. There's, there's got to be. But then again. That's just a symptom of the crazy. We're, we're looking, we're trying to make sense out of these couple who thought it was okay to withhold food from their children and lock them down so they wouldn't get out of the house. The sister of the mom is on Facebook. 
and she lives in Virginia. Well, I'm sorry, West Virginia. Ooh. And she has seven children. She says, I'm a child of God. I'm an entrepreneur, best-selling author and speaker. Seems like she's some sort of, uh, you know, motivational speaker. In fact, she has a quote from herself as her profile pic. And it says this, at times you might be down about what's going on with your life, but just remember one permanent fact, everything changes. Tomorrow might be different. Yes, that is very true. Tomorrow they might be in jail or in court. Bizarre, just an absolutely bizarre story that it could go this long. Um, And I was reminded of last night thinking about how many people it takes to look the other way for this to go on. Or for people to raise some sort of concern and be ignored about it, it reminded me of the Gabriel Fernandez case. I mean, in this case, thankfully, these 13 kids are not dead. But how many people looked the other way when it came to Gabriel Fernandez and how many people said something but were ignored about Gabriel Fernandez in this situation? That's just it's. The tragic, How much tragic of it too story. is laziness? Because it felt like in the in the Gabriel story, a lot of it was laziness. Social workers saying they went out on a call and did and it never did. You know, you know, I got to play Candy Crush. Yeah. You know, how much of it is laziness, and how much of it is just thinking? You know, what, whether it was neighbors on the street that saw these kids and thought, "Oh, something's off." How much of it was laziness, and how how much of it was, "Eh, that's their business." That's. It's frustrating, that's for sure. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on this story if anything new comes out. Chris Carlo, by the way, is going to join us a little bit later in the show, and we're going to talk more about that news conference today and some details that we have found out about that family. When we come back, though, the update on the Blaze Bernstein death, the guy who was accused of it is due in court today. Andrew Mullenbeck is going to join us for an update. Next on Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Well, the S-hole comments are not going away. I mean, this is one of the longer-lasting controversies that has embroiled the president when it comes to his comments or tweets or what have you. Still being talked about quite a bit on Capitol Hill. We'll have the latest on that coming up in Swamp Watch. We're also going to stay on top of this horrible house, house of horrors out there in Riverside in Paris. These parents holding uh, their 13 kids, some of them adult children, uh, some of them chained to furniture. But right now we have the latest on the murder of Blaze Bernstein. Andrew Mollebeck uh, joins us. He's been covering this story with us. And we know that the uh, the suspect in this case is due in court today. What are some of the new uh, details that we know about about Blaze's death? And just a, a quick update on the timeline. I just spoke with the DA's office. It's now going to be tomorrow, it looks like, ah. when he's going to be uh, before the court. So uh, the charges have not yet been filed, and those charges are expected sometime between now and tomorrow morning. Probably uh, it's looking more like tomorrow morning. But as far as this investigation, when we talked Friday, all that we knew was that a man had been arrested. Uh, but even the nature of how he was killed was an unknown. Well, sources now say Blaze Bernstein, that missing 19-year-old, was stabbed more than 20 times before he was buried in a shallow grave at a park in Lake Forest. Uh, Again, the charge is probably coming tomorrow. But at this point, the investigation seems to be looking at some kind of relationship gone wrong or even a hate crime. Uh, The suspected killer, Samuel Woodward, apparently told investigators Bernstein kissed him on the lips the night they got together and kind of drove around town. And Woodward says that he really kind of fought off that kiss 
and then messages from Bernstein's phone to some friends suggest that he may have been thinking about a relationship with Woodward since last summer. Now, right now, it's not clear if Woodward really ever wanted to have a relationship with Bernstein. Uh, The OC Register reports that Woodward was known for having really conservative social views in high school. And the original story, as you'll remember, that he told investigators, Woodward told investigators, was that he went to his girlfriend's house uh, the night he spent with Bernstein. Uh, We still don't really know if there is a girlfriend, uh, but at least that's what he told investigators. So, again, there is some kind of relationship or relationship gone wrong element to this investigation. Uh, The family has only said so far that it is standing with the LGBTQ community. Again, uh, we don't have an official motive from authorities, uh, but there does seem to be some sort of dynamic with whether it's the kiss or the messages about uh, starting a relationship, uh, that's going to be critical in this investigation. I read that Blaze may have sent a message to one of his friends or some of his friends saying, uh, this guy told me not to tell anyone, but I'm going to tell everyone, uh-oh, or something of that nature. And it, it seemed to me that maybe this guy was upset that it may have been getting out that there was some sort of relationship between the two. And that was, let's see, that would be seven months ago. I think that text message was from June. Uh, That was Bernstein saying that uh, he believed Woodward may be pursuing him, uh, but he wasn't supposed to say anything. And, yeah, he promptly sent some text messages to friends saying, not supposed to say this, but here it is. And then, uh uh-oh. But that was seven months uh, from when the two got together. And, again, uh, at least Bernstein was back home uh, from UPenn in Philly on winter break when the two got together. So the the timeline, at least as far back as we can go at the moment, uh, seems to be about seven months. But again, they were classmates in high school. We, uh, at this point, don't know how close they were in, in high school. And even that news conference that uh, there was Friday, uh, one of the speakers was talking about uh, the connection that these two had. And he even used the word relationship. Now, I know we can talk about anybody having a relationship, but just in a friendly way, it almost seemed to me that uh, he was getting at more than that in high school. Uh, But they're going to look into whether they did have some kind of relationship back in high school. The the family wasn't too happy with the Orange County Register yesterday. Register put out some of the uh, more gruesome details that they learned, including the the number of times that the blaze had been stabbed, etc. What is the family's reaction to that report from last night? I was when I saw the report myself. I was trying to imagine being the family, and, and first you lose your son. Well, he's missing, and then he's killed, and then you find out, perhaps for the first time through a media report, how difficult that would be, uh, and especially having kind of uh, personal information shared everywhere, uh, talked about in the newspapers and, and broadcast. Uh, I can only imagine how difficult that would be. Uh, they're not really saying a whole lot uh, as far as a response other than um, they're they're standing with the LGBTQ community. And again, I, I want to couch it by saying there has been no official motive, uh, whether that has something to do uh, with the killing or not, we cannot say. Uh, but there are elements, uh, some details about relationships or text messages or a report of a kiss uh, that do shed some light on it, but uh, we just don't want to take it too far. Andrew, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. You got it, guys. Yeah, 20 times. Stabbed 20 times. That's not self-defense. That's not a a fight that went wrong. That's intimate. That's anger. That's rage. Yeah. Yeah, 20 times. Um, 
I to to that point there of the family being upset with the Orange County Register. I I don't know how close the uh, the Orange County Sheriff's Department has been with the family in terms of investigators keeping them up to date. I know that in a lot of cases, the if, as long as the family is not even considered a suspect, which they're not in this case, the investigators would go out of their way to make sure that the family saw and knew everything before it came comes yeah, out in the media. I, I'm, so. I'm 100% confident knowing that the family knew how Blaze died and the horrific nature of it. But, but the timing the, of it, the, I mean, they laid, the, it, they laid their go, son to rest. Yeah, yesterday. for them to go public with it on the day of the memorial service is not cool. It's too bad. All right. Anyway, the the update again is that. Was it just um, the register? I don't know if it was just the register, but I do know that they are the ones that published, I think, about 5 o'clock last night. And looking into a lot of stuff, uh, the reports were everywhere, but everybody was pointing back to initial reports from the register. So they were like kind of the source. And everybody else was just re-reporting stuff from there. Um, and again, the suspect in that case is expected in court tomorrow. It was originally supposed to be today. Uh, one of the other things that's going on today is that the president's doctor is supposed to unveil the results from the physical that he underwent last uh, week. I think at about noon today, our time. That's going to be comical. <laughs> That'll I be bet. It's going to be completely, probably gonna be, normal so and dry, uh, and it's going to and it's going to be probably an SNL skit. This yeah, week. it's like he's he's a seventy what seventy one seventy one year yeah. old guy. He takes a statin for for blood pressure, yeah. or something like that. Um, and I then the president's response, the tweets. That's going to be fun too. <laughs> we'll watch it all unfold. This is what we do in 2018. Uh, the flu, if you haven't had it already, uh, could potentially kill you. And although we have had a bad flu season up to this point, one of the worst that we've seen in decades, it could potentially get worse. It's so. supposed to potentially get worse yeah. if you can believe it. Also, we'll be giving away a thousand dollars when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> with us it's tuesday it's twitter tuesday i'll tell you why in a minute at gary and shannon is how you follow us on twitter another uh, quick thing that you want to do is maybe win a thousand bucks you're shot at one thousand dollars now Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. And uh, don't forget, if you do enter and you win, they are going to call you to let you know that you won, but you have to pick up the phone. So uh, it may be from a number you don't recognize. And if you don't win this time, hey, next hour we'll give away another $1,000, and we'll do this from 520 every morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call all the way through the Conway Show at 620 at night. Twitter Tuesday means you follow us at Gary and Shannon. We follow you back and we retweet your thoughts all day long. How cool is that? On Twitter Thursday. Why Uh, are you impressed by us? Well, did you see the stat about CNN? How many times they said (laughs) s-hole but said it? On Friday? Ridiculous amount of times. Yes. We'll talk about it coming up next hour. We haven't said it once. Look at us up here on our perch, <laughs> looking down. Look how high and mighty we are. All right. The flu is a bad scene, guys. I think that everyone knew somebody or was sick themselves over the holidays, but it's not even at its peak worst time. I heard a figure over the weekend. They only count the people who have died who are under 65 when they when they compile flu statistics because yeah. – 
people over 65 are so susceptible. But you, you look at people who are 65 now, that's not that old anymore. You know what I mean? Like that, that's not, that's not that bad. Yeah. So that's horrific. So they said that this season so far, the number of people who have died up until 65 years old is at 42. Last, last season, it was at nine. That's how bad this thing is. Well, if you just look at the number of, uh, the, the numbers of people who have died in Southern California over the last couple of weeks, you could see it's clearly peaking. This this flu epidemic is clearly peaking. And again, like you said, younger than 65 who've died from the flu in California. There was a, a handful in November, uh, I picked up a little bit in December, but right after Christmas and into New Year's, when everybody saw family and spread their germs around, it we saw seven people die the week before Christmas, 10 people die that week after that, 15 die the first week of January. So it's obviously going to go up before it goes down. This this flu strain uh, known as H3N2 is making us so sick that, that thousands have shown up in hospital emergency rooms that these emergency rooms have then had to set up. They've, what they've had to do is break out their earthquake kits, basically, and set up giant triage tents in the parking lot because the physical building can't handle that many people in the, that are coming in complaining of flu symptoms. Well, Jim Keeney told Handel it's a war zone. Yeah. And ERs. And it just, it freaks you out when you think about these are people that, you know, they're our age. They don't have issues. And they're dying from the flu. The the flu is everywhere. The, the CDC obviously is keeping control of this. I would imagine they're having a couple of meetings a day about this. But the CDC director of the flu division is a guy named Dan Jernigan. And he says, this is the first year we've had the entire continental U.S., be the same color on the graph, meaning that there's a widespread activity in all of the continental United States at this point. And what's interesting is he says uh, we are expecting to see this, even if it peaks in the next week or two, there is a chance that we could see other flu strains pop up over the next couple of weeks and even a couple of months to where this is not even the big problem. It could spike again later in February, early March, et cetera. Doctors say that people who have not yet gotten the flu shot should still get it, even though the shot's only about 30% effective this year. It can reduce the severity and the length of the illness, and they say it takes about two weeks to take effect. There's a weird... You know how they make the, the flu vaccines by cooking it in eggs, basically? There are a couple of advances that have two immunizations that are not made in eggs. Uh, a, a one product called FluBlock and the other one called FluCellVax. FluBlock includes only the protein that's expressed on the surface of the flu vaccine. FluCellVax is grown in mammal cells. And since neither of them uses eggs in the manufacturing process, it's possible those vaccines could result in something that looks a lot more like the actual flu virus that's circulating. I don't like talking about the flu. I start to feel a little you start sick. to feel... <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> My neighbor, he uh, he came down with something that I thought was the same thing that I had, which was just the, like, death rattle hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he went in because he was just, like, out of it. His wife had to drive him in. He didn't even know where the hell it was going. And he had bronchitis and pneumonia. I got bronchitis. And pneumonia. And he plays Santa. 
He looks like Santa. Oh. So he said, maybe <laughs> this is good. the year I stop doing the Santa gigs in like halfway houses and clinics. He's like, the money's really nice, but it's not worth it at my age. It's not worth the open source. No. <laughs> Oh my god! I know, right? <laughs> That's why he has the beard to cover the sores. I don't know. He doesn't have any. I sores. think I've met your neighbor one time. I, have you met him? I think so. He's a kick. You wouldn't forget him. Couldn't forget the sores. Monica Ricks is going to join us in a few minutes. We're going to be talking about what Colorado's recreational pot market might mean for California's recreational pot market. They had our they had the head start. They are the ones who really dove into this thing head first uh, a couple of years ago. So see if we can get a peek into our own future. Monica's going to join us in just a few minutes. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM things that I know about the Colorado pot market is that they brought in a whole lot more tax revenue than they were expecting. Is that right? Absolutely. It doubled um, expectations. Um, I spoke to one of the guys that actually authored, co-authored Prop 64, which essentially helped pass uh, marijuana legislation uh, here in 2012. They went wreck in 2014, and and it's basically boosted their economy so much. They've created 30,000 new jobs. It did uh, double tax revenue, um, and it just really helped them. They see it as a very big positive because it's pumped so much money into the local or statewide economy, I should say. People wonder if, if we're going to have pot stores on every corner. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember the area. I think it's Edgewater, where, where one of my girlfriends lives. And I, when I went to visit there, it did seem like there was that uh, that green cross on, every, on like yeah. every other corner. Yeah, pot dispensaries are the new Starbucks. Um, there are... So many concentrated, you know, pretty much all over the place. I'm actually staying at a hotel in downtown Denver, and there are so many just around that little area. Um, It's hard to just sort of pick one to go to. But I did go to one called Peak Dispensary. They were featured on Vice on HBO a couple years ago. And it's amazing the amount of products and just variety of things that they sell. Some of these things are weird, too. So it's it's really interesting just to see. Which leads to the next question: yes. What is what is weird? Uh, they sell pot suppositories. Uh, any takers mm, there? No. Nope. Tell um, me how that works. Nope. No. What do you they mean? How does that I'm work? curious. Draw you a picture how that works. <laughs> well, I'm curious as to what it does. Is it just oh, more? 
Is it more powerful or something? Because you... It's just a different way to absorb the pot, I guess. Um, they have sexual oils. They have lotions. They have... What do the oils do? I'm... Um, it just absorbs through your skin. The THC, it just, it just when you touch it, um, even the edibles sometimes, it, it can uh, absorb into your skin. Um, so the bud tenders, as they call them, the, the folks behind the counter that sell you these products, um, you know, they have to know every single thing about them. So there's, there's edibles like jerky and peanut butter and gummy bears, and uh, they call the actual pot flowers, uh, which I learned here. Um, I don't understand the pot sex oils. I don't get that. Oh, it's like okay. one, well, it's like one um, thing at a time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, aren't you busy you with, have... with the sexy time? Why do you need to get the high yeah. time in with the sexy time? I'm not judging. Oh, I'm just curious. Sometimes when two people love each other and want to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for I having the sex things, pot talk with me. Well said. <laughs> well said. But I mean, is it is it as simple as saying uh, as Colorado goes, so goes California? Or are there specific differences here in California that will uh, that will make our future different than they've seen in Colorado? I think there are so many questions up in the air in California, but I think the future of California is very similar to Colorado. And I can say that because a lot of the dispensaries and the people that I've talked to that have unique businesses say that they've already put in paperwork to apply for licenses to expand into California and bring similar type of businesses there. So I think I think it's interesting. I mean, there's even stuff like I visited the International Church of Cannabis today. They actually want to open up a church, a similar church in L.A., so we could have a church. What goes on there? Too. What goes on there? Um, they have service every Friday. It's open to the public uh, Thursday through Sunday. I've got to tell you, I went in there and I couldn't stop smiling. It is like a color explosion. I put video of it on my Twitter page. You have to check it out. Um, they right have gra- They have graffiti artists that did these amazing just murals. Oh, that is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It's incredible. It's, I mean, the vibe is cool. They've got ashtrays uh, throughout the pews. I so feel high just can... looking at the video. <laughs> it, I mean, they have a baptism tub on the second floor. Uh, so you get, there. do you get high yeah. at the baptism? Uh, you can. Or yep. do you get high uh, before said baptism? What do you Maybe have? both. Does Maybe the baby both. get high? Maybe, yep, during, and you hold your arm up so it doesn't, like, affect whatever you're smoking. Um, and, you know, I don't think they've uh, baptized babies. I think it's adults so far that oh, they've got told it. me about. You have to be 21 and older. Um, they do allow children in there during the public hours, but during the services, you have to be 21 and older. Um, it's an invite-only process. You get on their mailing list. They send you an invite. You go. They've married at least two couples there. Um, I see. So you're, like, praying to – or not praying, but you're celebrating cannabis instead of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, they Got call it. it elevationism. It's uh, just sort of like discover the best version of yourself. It's a space to get creative and just sort of be with like-minded people. So it's just, it, honestly, just walking around that place, um, again, not smoking, didn't take any edibles. I was just happy. It was a good vibe. There's a lot of colors and it's everybody's friendly. So I, I can see how that's a place where a lot of people would, would go. And they do get thousands of people that go there every month. Tourists love coming through and checking it out. Is there um, is there a price to get in the door? 
No, it's free. Huh. It's free. They take donations, um, which is which is a thing because they're not they're not for profit. Um, they have filed paperwork to be tax exempt, but right now they just you know they rely on donations. So they've had a couple big donors, which is how they got started and built the church and made it what it is today. But they do plan on expanding. And he says that the one of the guys that runs it uh, put in some paperwork to start one in L.A. Is it good journalism if you're sent to Denver to do a story on pot for a while that you get? high or is it bad journalism to get high you know what i just report you decide got it i love it <laughs> I feel well like, i know you can't bring it home and i feel like we did you wouldn't need to anyway because no it's you legal. can't bring it home that's the thing right no you i can't, can't cross state lines so well you can't take it to the airport either uh it goes through tsa and, and you can't can't do it hmm. how do people travel with their pot they don't what do you mean to. they don't? I know. Sure Plus, they do. When Oscar? You to, I mean, when you, when, you get, when you go to dispensaries, when you go to dispensaries, you can only buy an ounce at a time. And if you're, and that's just for residents. If you're visiting, you can only buy a fourth of an ounce, which isn't much. And a lot of people that I've talked to, I did talk to some people from Florida, some girls, some girls that were in town from Florida. I shouldn't say girls, they were women. Um, I met a couple from Oklahoma City um, that just passed through. It's sort of a novelty uh, because it's not legal in their state. So they come to Colorado. They're maybe on a road trip. Or pot tourism. Else. It's called a vacation. Oh. Oscar, how do you travel with pot? How do you travel with pot? Like uh, yeah. you're talking about on a plane uh-huh. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, if I want to go somewhere with my pot. Pot depositories. That's the answer. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's never the answer. I don't think it. Uh, there is no question to which that is the answer. I mean, I mean do, there, you know, it's uh, illegal to carry pot across state lines. Yeah, I know. But how do you so do it? I don't think we should, as a station, I don't think we should oh, give right. people how to do it. I I'm can sure, tell you in I'm a break. sure people let me know on Twitter. Great. Yeah, I'm just curious. <laughs> well, we are excited. When you come back, we'll talk more about uh, about what you've learned out there. Uh, and awesome, how it, but how but, but no goodie bags for you guys. I'm not bringing you back any presents. Oh That's no, okay. no, I don't really like no. pot anyway. But <laughs> okay. she, she keeps saying that. But. All right, Monica, yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Monica Ricks there with uh, the latest on what's going on in Colorado when it I comes don't to pot. The the butt thing and recreational pot. You mean the suppositories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. Like, if that's how you have to take your drugs, that you need to stop I taking su- them. I suppose there could be a medical <laughs> reason why you would sure, need to. Sure, but if there's not, if it's like, a if that's recreational your idea thing. of, like, fun on a Friday night, putting pot in your butt, we got we to gotta sit down and no. talk. I mean, if, you're, if you've ever been in a fraternity, you've butt-chugged vodka at some point, right? You can die from doing that, Gary. I didn't say you could. I don't know what happened with you in Shasta Hall circa 1988. Never in a fraternity. I'm all clean. I'm... It's not on my record. More of this. No. No? No more of this. All right. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Oh, man. I've got, we've gotten an education on suppositories and sexual pot oils in the past five minutes, and we thank you. That's one of two things I want to stop today. (laughs) Stop with the instructions on sexual oils and suppositories with marijuana. Well, we got one email from Mark about a certain musical um, legend (laughs) who would have a team of people uh, put uh, cocaine up his or her butt. A team of people for this yeah. activity. And I told Gary, I promise, never 
to let your head get so big that you have a team of people putting drugs up your butt. Like, if it gets to that point, I'll, I, I, I'll sit you down and we'll have a talk. I got to do it myself. Yeah, you have to do it yourself. If you're going to put drugs <laughs> up your butt, you have to do it yourself. But right. people say that it is helpful for nausea and if people can't keep medication down. Which makes sense. That that's totally what makes sense. Right. I that, get the medical reasons. I don't get the for fun reasons. Um, <laughs> so that's one thing. That I want to stop seeing in our social media feed. Okay. The other thing I want to stop seeing in our social media feed mm-hmm. is these people who are using this Google tool to figure out which classic art person they look oh, like. I can't have, do have it. Have you done it yet? No. No, Oscar. Oscar no. no. This is not it's happening. It's driving us like insane. I feel like we should do this as a show. No. no. It's stupid. I was going to suggest it. And I it's <laughs> a no. terrible idea. Morning. Google has been working on facial recognition for a long time. Come and on. there's there's a problem when Google Glass came out. There was a question, are you going to be able to put facial recognition software in your Google Glass so you could walk down the street and it would take a picture of Shannon's face and it would say, hey, that's Shannon Farron. She's on KFI or, you know, her, she's in your Facebook feed or something like that. They, they didn't want to do that. There's huge, huge privacy issues with that. But they still have all of this facial rec- recognition technology at their disposal. So now they're just turning it into a game. And what they've done is they've added a feature to their app. For their uh, arts and culture app where you upload a selfie and you get back pictures of portrait paintings from, I don't know, tens of thousands of different classic paintings in the Google Art Project. It does the math it's and driving tries, to, me crazy. tries to match you with something from a classic Rembrandt or Van Gogh or something. What if the listeners want to see your guys' matches? Nobody's trying to see that. Nobody you know what people want to see? People want to see people getting over themselves. There, and, you know, granted, there are some of them that are that are unique and pretty close. This one isn't. This guy put his face in there, and it came back David's willy. Genitals. David by Michelangelo. The naked guy? All it is is a picture of his uh, I think that's a pubal joke. area. I think it's actually a joke. Well, I don't care. I think it's funny. His er. pubal area? <laughs> yes. I think the... Uh, Jimmy Fallon show, I think last night they were playing some that were kind of funny, and they did uh, a Steve Bannon one, and it ended up being the Mucinex, like, mucus guy. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Can I never hear Steve Bannon and Mucinex together in a oh. sentence? <laughs> That's my wish for the new year. Sloppy oh. Steve. Oh, Sloppy boy. Steve. Oh, and Dickie Durbin, too. You got to talk about that. But there's a bunch going on. We'll come back and do all of our trending stuff. Also, uh, Steve Bannon has been subpoenaed by special counsel Robert Mueller. We'll talk about that in Swamp Watch. Uh, and the, the Trump doctor is, uh, I should say, not his doctor, but the president's doctor is uh, supposed to unveil the president's physical results at uh, 1230 today, our time. So we'll keep an eye on that as well as we get into more. Gary and Shannon. Say hello to Esmeralda. Okay. Esmeralda is working at the Kane Aris Center School in Culver City. Hey, Esmeralda. And she's listening to the show today. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I just know because I know some people. So I just know some things. I hope the show has been safe to air at said school. I think so. Okay. I think so. At least for Esmeralda's part. I mean, we did do the whole pot sex oils thing. No, we, well, okay. You're right. 
Well, remember the federal judge ruling that temporary derailed the plans by the administration to phase out DACA? Trump administration today says it will appeal that ruling. We'll talk all about it coming up in Swamp Watch. Hey, a bunch coming up, uh, including Chris Ancarlo is going to join us at 1 o'clock. We're going to talk more about that family in Paris, Riverside County. The 13 siblings taken from that house, all between the ages of 2 and 29. Some of them were shackled to furniture to prevent them from leaving. But thankfully, a 17-year-old girl was able to get out and call authorities and turn in her parents, basically. Also, Steve Bannon subpoenaed by special counsel. We'll talk more about that at the bottom of the hour. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Terrible story out of York, South Carolina. Four law enforcement officers, including three SWAT members, were shot and hurt as they searched for a domestic violence suspect. One of them is in very critical condition. The suspect was also hurt in the shootout. 47-year-old guy. They've been called to the home about 10 p.m. last night. There was a report that this guy was attacking a woman. He runs into the woods and a deputy and police jog chase him. He fires and they shoots and, and wounds the deputy and the manhunt begins. They said that this guy was also shooting at uh, at one point the state helicopter, state police helicopter and was able to hit it. Uh, didn't didn't crash or anything, but uh... he had several long guns, but they didn't get into specifics. Huh. Uh, the Dow Industrials uh, was up over 26,000 earlier today for the first time. Earnings season is just around the corner. Uh, it was recently up 145 points. It is not up anymore, at least not right now. It's uh, it's closer to about uh, 25,800 or so. It's only down about 17 points. So there's a little bit of time, another hour left in trading if it's going to get up above that. But we are seeing the beginning of fourth quarter reporting season. A lot of money managers expect will, again, Exceed expectations. Uh, so that's why we're seeing this uh, this little positive movement in the Dow, at least lately. Well, Steve Bannon subpoenaed in Mueller's Russia investigation. This seems like the first time that they've gone and used a grand jury subpoena to get information from a member of the president's inner circle. Of course, they've used subpoenas in the past to get uh, information from the president's associates and their possible ties to Russia or foreign governments. This seems like the closest guy to the president. This, and this is probably a poker move. I mean, this is probably a, a negotiating tactic for Bob Mueller to say, hey, we won't make you go before the grand jury. Maybe you just come to us instead and we'll do it that way. We do know that Steve Bannon and uh, I think it was Corey Lewandowski sat in front of the House investigation, investigators, and they did so in private. But um, that's... Uh, He's going to have everything. Steve Bannon's going to have everything. Did you see this fight last night? I didn't see it, but I heard about <laughs> it this morning. Between the Rockets and the Clippers, CP3's return to Staples. You know what he still remembers how to do at Staples is get into the home locker room. <laughs> and he led some of his colleagues through there to get into it with Austin Rivers and Blake Griffin after the game. It was a chippy game. How many locker rooms are there at Staples Center? Do you know? I would assume. Two? I would it's ass- just two? Uh, oh, maybe not, actually. The other person who was in that group, though, from what I heard, the one who led, Trevor Ariza, who would also know the ins and outs of Staples. Having played on the Lakers. Yes. Um, I would assume that the Clippers and Lakers do not share the same locker room. They, yeah, I, they think separate. I think there's three There's got to be three, yeah. 
Clippers, Lakers, and a visitor's locker room. And then you throw the Kings in there, too. Where do, I don't know. It does, I, if somebody knows, let me know. That's uh, We could ask somebody down the hall, too. But in it looked like several of the Clippers dared the Rockets players who showed up at the back door. Okay, yeah, come on in. We'll tell, we'll tell you what it's about. In the meantime, there's even a Clippers guy at the front door of the locker room knocking to try to get in. It's ridiculous that the LAPD was called over this. I mean, come on. Give me a break. <laughs> It wasn't going to go anywhere. Did the LAPD need to get involved with that? No, they, they're busy. Let well, do other things. friend of the show, uh, Bachelor Nick, okay. who was on several iterations Hold of on. The Bachelor show. I think it's worth an explanation why Nick is a friend of the show. Well, we met him in the elevator. Okay, again. I said to him, aren't you that Bachelor guy? He said, yes. <laughs> I said, what happened in your season? I don't remember. And he said it ended the way they all end. And that was really the end of it. But. And that makes him a friend of the show? Sure. And you gave him directions to the garage. We did give him directions. When it was standing right in front of him. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> Within about 10 seconds. I'd I say that makes you guys friends. Yeah. But he never once looked up from his phone. That's what friends do. He did He oh, did do this. They sit around and <laughs> he talk to He did do this one where on he's still phone. looking at his phone, but his eyes go up. Oh, he I, did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, there was one of them. Well, he knew you were a blonde, and he thought, hey, were you on The Bachelor? Wow. What? Easy. Well, listen to this. Yes. January Jones is said to be dating Nick. He didn't say anything about that when we talked to him. They've been dating for about two months, according to a source. She went on the late show in mid-November, said Nick had reached out to her and tried to get her to limp sync battle with him. Is that a move? Uh, She declined, but then he asked her out for a drink. She accepted they've been singing each other since. Okay. I don't know. She she had joked to James Corden of Nick, you don't know if you like him or if he's a scumbag, but that's why I'm attracted to him, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm going to pull the car over here. That's the nicest thing anyone has ever said about it. <laughs> Ladies, if you don't know if a guy is a scumbag oh, come on. or if you like him. You haven't had a bad boy thing? No. Come on. No. Everybody's got a simple jack thing. You talk about... Guys in leather jackets who smell like cigarette smoke. That there was a time in your life where you went like this. Swoon. No, I said yes. one person was attractive for five minutes that fits that description. That's enough. That's I never went takes. out with anyone like That's that. That's a phase right there. That's all it takes. Oh, for the love. Good Lord. It's okay. I'm just trying to keep You're going. the one who went out with crazy people. They weren't crazy. They yes, were crazy they were. names. Well. Some of them were crazy. Okay, you're right. Some of them were crazy. CNN really leapt into the toilet, didn't they? We will do the next segment from up on high, from our perch. <laughs> Hi, I'm Journalism Mountain. Well, I never. I think we should call it, well, we never. Can we be British, too? <laughs> All right, we'll do that when we come back. Also, a Swamp Watch at the bottom of the hour. And in the 1 o'clock hour today, our friend Neil Saavedra, our fork reporter, is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about National Soup Month. Wendy on Facebook says there are 12 locker and dressing rooms at Staples, including team-specific locker rooms for the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings. Well, that's a lot. Okay. We'll also give away 1000 bucks when we come back. We'll tell you how, we can, uh, how you can get your grubby little hands on that. Giving away $1,000. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. And don't forget, you got to answer the phone. If you win, they will give you a call sometime in the next hour or so. But if you don't answer, they'll move on to somebody else and give that $1,000 to uh, to somebody else. So make sure you answer the phone. And if you don't win, you can win next hour or the hour after that. In fact, we're giving away $1,000 an hour from 520 in the morning through 620 at night through the Conway Show. Still a lot of questions out of Paris, California, where that couple has been taken into custody. $9 million bail apiece because... 13 of their kids, ages 2 to 29, found hold up in their house there in Paris. Seven of the kids, adults, 18 to 29. Uh, when authorities arrived on scene, at least three of the kids were shackled, chained to furniture inside. Chris Ancarlo is going to join us in about half an hour with all of the very latest. Well, <clears throat> allow me a moment to climb high up on my tree of righteousness. I, too, am up on the top of the tree. Of righteousness. And let us look down at our finger quotes colleagues. We have to look very far down. There they are, way down there. Hello down there. The most offended news network by the president's supposed comments in a somewhat closed meeting in the White House last Thursday where he may have said S-hole or S-house or something like that. CNN by far wins for the most pearl clutching that went on. 195 times they said S-hole the entire word on Friday. <laughs> so unnecessary, so gratuitous. Come on. It's, <laughs> we know, okay, uh, for the purposes of this argument, let's say he said the word. I'm not going to get outside of the argument about whether it was appropriate whether it destroys the immigration debate, whether it makes him racist or racially ignorant, whatever, whatever. Let's assume he said it, okay? He's not the first president to swear in the Oval Office, and I assume will not be the last president to swear in the Oval Office. Furthermore, S-hole is a perfect description of that word, right? It's not like there was no other way to describe the word that he uttered. You know what I mean? It's not like he said... uh, like he was making something up? Uh, right. You know, let me make up a swear word right now and yeah. then describe it. Yeah. Like. Uh, like knuckle buckles. Monkey. Uh, you. Right. I don't know. Oh, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's not like he threw a bunch of words together that you would have a hard time describing. You can describe the word by just saying asshole. Right. Or just say expletive. Or expletive. Now, on Friday alone, on Friday alone. If you look at the the transcripts on Nexus, they said the word "asshole," although they said it 196 times, and that doesn't count Saturday or Sunday or yesterday. Fox News Channel didn't say it once because the staff, the bosses, told their guests not to say it and told their hosts not to say it any times. ABC, CBS, PBS, also zero. NBC said that they uncorked one of them. And MSNBC's primetime shows use 14 S-words from 5 o'clock to 11 o'clock on Friday night. By the way, the FCC obscenity regulations, when you apply it to broadcast TV stations, it goes between 6 in the morning and 10 o'clock at night. So anytime outside of that, you could say it. 
But here's the thing. If the president is quoted as saying it and it's a newsworthy thing, you can say the word. Here's the question. Do you have to say the word? And do you have to say it 195 times? You get the point. I mean, even if they didn't – they had it. CNN had it on their Chiron. They had it on their little uh, crawl along the bottom of their screen all day. From Thursday when we ended the show, we looked at that TV in the office and said, oh, my God, what is that? And then we all we find out what's going on. That that title, those words stayed up there for 48 hours probably. They were giddy to say it right. so yes. many times. Well, and it was because it was dealing with the president too. Oh, right. it's, I mean, course. it's no surprise that CNN does not like the president. No surprise. NPR even said it. They don't like the president. I mean, they, there were some journalists that were very excited that they got to swear and that it was something disparaging the president had allegedly said about these countries. All right. <laughs> what? I just... The excitement with which people have been saying the word. Yeah. It also, I mean, I I think Dick Durbin was upset. I mean, he was one of the original guys who came out and said that the president used the comment in the first place, right? But what Dick Durbin is now, what they're they're losing in all of this is the reason they were there was to talk about immigration, fixing immigration. And they're not having the discussion anymore. They're talking about whether it's appropriate that the president said the word or not. Get back to work. Get over it. Get back to work. If all the rules were lifted, would there be any word you'd be excited to say on the air? Yes. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yes. There would be some. What is it? But just it's- um, Gosh, there's so many, Oscar. I think the one that Shannon was trying to say, the monkey knuckle, knuckle buckles or whatever it was that you were trying to say and couldn't get it out. I'd like a... Just a good, I mean, just, clean... If you we're had in like a safe one, space right now. We're in a circle. Right. Nobody's listening. I think, us. I think MF would be fun to say. Yeah, but I don't... Like, and really draw it out. But you get like one free <laughs> like pass a when day. When Gary plays a clip of you saying, that is a big bird. <laughs> I'd like to follow it up with an mf Yeah, pretty much. But what would you choose? I would just use, I would oh, use one one, one per day, one what would well-placed F-word. Just oh, really? one. That's it, huh? That just, would be, I, and, and there may be days that go by, uh, I, I feel like I don't need that. Just old faithful. But just one. What about you, Oscar? What word would you choose? Hmm. I don't know. I was kind of just throwing it at you guys. I wasn't thinking about myself. Oh right come now. on, we've we've admitted it. Now you have to get in get into the dirty pile with us. I think um, <laughs> instead of saying apple, just take off yeah. take the reins off of apple. <clears throat> I think would be fun enough. Blake, mm. do you have a pick? No, because mine's a concentrated effort to not cuss as much Aww. anymore. Look at Blake. So like if well, yeah, I give, but we're playing pretend right now. I know, but yeah. if I give myself that out, then it'll be a problem. But I do. I love. every time we say, uh, I'll, I'm with Oscar on that though. When we say Apple in my head, I'm like, that's kind of stupid that we have to say Apple. So I'm gonna go with that one. Excellent point. Yeah, it's nice up here on top of uh, this mountain though. On Righteous Mountain, I love it. It feels good. <laughs> the, air the air is clean. Is, yeah, very clean. <laughs> Swamp Watch. When we come back, Steve Bannon subpoenaed in Robert Mueller's Russia investigation and. We're expecting to get word in the next few minutes from the president's doctor about his physical health. Amy King, what's your swear word? I could never do that. My mother would kill me. Oh, I know. (laughs) Mine too. I know, right? Who are we kidding? Drain the swamp. All right, enough with that. Let's go live to Washington. Washington. This is the doctor who has examined the president and is going to give us his report right now. With, the president, uh, with President Trump's consent, I release the following health information. <clears throat> Vitals as follows. Age 71 years and 7 months at the time of the exam. Height 75 inches. Weight 239 pounds. Resting heart rate 68. Blood pressure 122 over 74. Pulse oximetry 99% on room air. 
Temperature was 98.4. Physical examination um, by system to include any studies that were done by system. Uh, Eyes, the president's uncorrected visual acuity is 20-30 bilaterally with corrected visual acuity of 20-20 bilaterally. His visual fields were normal. Fundoscopic exam was normal bilaterally. His intraocular pressures were normal and no ocular, uh, ocular pathology was discovered. Head, ears, nose, and throat, normal exam of the head, ears, nose, mouth, and throat. Uh, dental exam, he has healthy teeth and gums. There are no other dental findings. Uh, neck, normal thyroid exam, no noted lymphadenopathy. Auscultation of his carotid arteries were normal. Pulmonary exam, his lungs were clear to auscultation. A screening low-dose CT of the chest demonstrated no pulmonary pathology. Cardiac exam, heart exam was normal. Regular rhythm, no murmurs or other abnormal heart sounds were noted. His ECG, or commonly EKG, uh, was normal sinus rhythm with a rate of 71, had a normal axis and no other significant findings. He had a transthoracic echocardiogram done, which demonstrated normal left ventricular systolic function, an ejection fraction of 60 to 65%, normal left ventricular chamber size and wall thickness, no wall motion abnormalities. His right ventricle was normal. His atria were grossly normal, and all valves were normal. He had an exercise stress echocardiogram done, which demonstrated above-average exercise capacity based on age and sex, and a normal heart rate, blood pressure, and cardiac output response to exercise. He had no evidence of ischemia, and his wall motion was normal in all images. Gastrointestinal exam. He had a normal exam, no masses, no hepatomegaly or splenomegaly. He had a normal optical colonoscopy done in 2013, June of 2013, that demonstrated no polyps or abnormal findings, and because of that, a repeat colonoscopy was not indicated at this time and will be deferred until his next periodic physical exam. Genital urinary exam was normal. Extremities and musculoskeletal, normal throughout, full range of motion in all joints. He had strong distal pulses and good capillary refill in all extremities. He had no swelling or edema. Neurological exam, examination of the cranial nerves, cerebellar function, deep tendon reflexes, motor function, and sensory system were all normal. A cognitive screening exam using the Montreal Cognitive Assessment was normal with a score of 30 over 30. Dermatologic exam, normal, no evidence of melanoma, basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, or any other significant dermatologic diseases. I'm going to very briefly go over some of the labs here that I feel are most important, that most uh, providers would be interested in, uh, and then you can look at the details when I uh, put out the uh, written. But uh, laboratory results uh, summarized, a lipid panel. He had a total cholesterol of 223, triglycerides of 129, HDL of 67, an LDL cholesterol of 143, and his his total cholesterol to HDL ratio is 3.3. His uh, complete blood count, to include his white blood cell count, his hemoglobin, hematocrit, and platelet count were all normal, and the values are on the uh, written copy you'll get. Uh, His extended metabolic panel, as follows. His fasting blood glucose was 89. His uh, BUN was 19. His creatinine was 0.98, indicators of his renal function. His liver enzymes, his ALT was 27. His AST was 19, normal. His hemoglobin A1C was 5%. His vitamin D was 20. His PSA was 0.12. And his uh, thyroid screen with the TSH was 1.76.
He had a urinalysis done that was clear and had no evidence of protein, ketones, glucose, or blood. His past medical history includes hypercholesterolemia and rosacea. His past surgical history had an appendectomy at age 11. His social history, he has no past or present use of alcohol, no past or present use of tobacco. His medications, as follows, he takes Crestor, 10 milligrams daily to lower his cholesterol. He takes aspirin, 81 milligrams daily for cardiac health. He takes Propecia, 1 milligram daily for prevention of male pattern hair loss. He takes cilantro cream as needed for rosacea, and he takes a multivitamin each day for health maintenance. Immunizations, the president uh, during his physical exam had a Prevnar 13 immunization to prevent pneumococcal pneumonia, and he had number two dose of his Twinrix to prevent hepatitis A and B. His routine vaccinations to include his seasonal influenza are all up to date, and all indicated travel vaccinations are up to date. In summary, the president's overall health is excellent. His cardiac performance during his physical exam was very good. He continues to enjoy the significant long-term cardiac and overall health benefits that come from a lifetime of abstinence from tobacco and alcohol. We discussed diet, exercise, and weight loss. He would benefit from a diet that is lower in fat and carbohydrates and from a routine exercise regimen. He has a history of elevated cholesterol and is currently in a low dose of Crestor. In order to further reduce his cholesterol level and further decrease his cardiac risk, we will increase the dose of this particular medication. The President is currently up to date on all recommended preventive medicine and screening tests and exams. All clinical data indicates that the President is currently very healthy and that he will remain so for the duration of his presidency. Okay, with that, I'll uh, take some questions. Before we get started, let me just make one comment. I'd just like to point out for all of you here in this room, many of you which uh, know me, uh, just uh, if something should happen to you over the next few months and you should fall ill at some point, that most likely I will be the one called to come and take care of you. So uh, when you ask your questions, please keep that in That's mind. That's funny. <laughs> yes, sir. Dr. Jackson, um, how much weight have you suggested the president lose? And, and he, he has not exactly been enthusiastic about exercising. The president kind of believes that we all have a finite battery. Why waste it on exercising when you can put it toward other pursuits? So what did you counsel him about that? Right. Uh, uh, that's right. So, you know, I think the president, uh, you know, he and I talked and he would, he would like to lose over the next, I think a reasonable goal over the next year or so is to lose 10 to 15 pounds. Uh, we talked about diet and exercise a lot. He's more enthusiastic about the diet part than the exercise part, but we're going to do both. Uh, he, uh, he and I will work together over the next year uh, to incorporate a, a good plan in, in, so that we can, uh, we can meet those goals. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Yes. Thank you. Two questions for you. Number one, uh, there have been some questions as part of your exam. I'm wondering if you talked to the president about this, about the president's mental fitness. He has pushed back on that, calling himself right. a staple genius. Can you assess the president's mental fitness for office? Absolutely. So you, many of you may have picked up on the fact that we did do a cognitive assessment as part of the exam. And initially, uh, you know, I had no intention of including a cognitive assessment in this exam because, to be honest with you, uh, per all the guidelines that are out there, uh, it just, it's not indicated at this time. A lot of the guidelines uh, would suggest that you, do, uh, that you do cognitive screening questions and that if you have a positive or concerning answer in the screening questions, that then you engage with a cognitive screening tool. So I had no intentions whatsoever doing that, like I said, because I didn't feel it was clinically indicated. And part of the reason I didn't think it was clinically indicated is because uh, I've spent almost every day in the, pre in the president's presence since January 20, 2000, or, you know, last year, 
uh, when he when he got into office. And I've seen him every day. I see him uh, one, two, uh, sometimes three times a day because of the location of my office. We have conversations about many things. Most of not uh, most don't re uh, revolve around medical issues at all. But I've got to know him pretty well. And uh, I had absolutely no concerns about his cognitive ability or his, uh, uh, you know, his, his uh, neurological function. So I was not going to do a cognitive exam. I had no intention of doing one. The, the, the reason that we did the cognitive assessment is plain and simple because the president asked me to do it. He came to me and he said, is there something we can do, a test or some type of screen that we can do uh, to assess my, uh, you know, my cognitive ability? And uh, so I looked into it. And once again, and my initial question was that I didn't think it was indicated and I didn't think we should do it. After looking at some of the guidelines, there are a few guidelines out there uh, that lean in the direction of potentially doing it. You know, the, uh, um, the Medicare guidelines and uh, some of the NIH, uh, National Institute of Aging, they've indicated that it might be a good thing to start doing for most patients in the future. With that in mind, I went through and I looked at a variety of the cognitive assessments that were available. Most of them were very simple, very short. And I think that's part of, that's the goal, actually, for primary care providers in doing this is to keep it simple, keep it short. We picked one of the ones that was a little bit more involved. It was longer. It was, uh, it was the more difficult one of all of them. It, it took significantly longer to complete, but uh, the president did ex exceedingly well on it. So uh, that was not driven at all by any clinical concerns I have. It was driven by the president's wishes, and uh, he, he did well on it. So to follow up, the president's personal doctor memorably said during the campaign that he would be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. Do you agree with that assessment? I'm not going to comment on that. My job is to, is to basically give you my assessment. such a dumb question. Of, uh, President Trump good. today, and I'm not going to make any uh, any comparisons uh, with presidents uh, over the last two. One more years question, if it's any good. Yes. yes. Um, there was an incident recently where the president appeared to slur his words while giving an address. Um, did you look into what the cause of that might have been at all? I did. Yeah, we we talked about that, and actually. Uh, uh, um, one of my ENT consultants uh, was involved in that. We evaluated him. We checked. Uh, we checked everything out, and every everything was normal. We even went so far as to do an ultrasound of his parotid glands and a few other things, and there was absolutely no, uh, you know, clinical findings. That was, was, just, I think was the thirsty. reason for that was, quite honestly, me being up here right now. I think I need a drink of water, uh, <laughs> is, but. Uh, I think that um, I had given the president some medication, uh, specifically some Sudafed over the days previous, and I think that I had inadvertently kind of dried up his secretions a little bit more than uh, that I intended to, and I think that led to... All right. Uh, if this is the line of questioning, I'm... This, yeah. Or, yeah, it's okay. All right. Uh, the president slurred his words, and I think that that's what everybody was saying. Blake, give me this thing. This is what they were talking about when the president slurred his words. God bless the United States. Thank you very much. I mean, it's funny. It's goofy. <laughs> But he needed a drink of water. Anybody it's not a sign that he's losing a, his mind. A case of dry mouth nose. Uh, all right. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about this. We're going to take a quick break. Gary and Shannon. Just a quick recap. The doctor took up all the time there. Rear Admiral Dr. Ronnie Jackson is the physician to the president and gave President Trump an absolutely sparkling bill of health. The uh, I think the one thing that was probably the most that generated the most concern for the doctor is that the president is overweight. We've known that. He said, hey, it'd be great if the president could lose 10 to 15 pounds over the course of the year. And I suggested diet and exercise. So that's it. Everybody else is trying to come up with. Well, it says in the 25th Amendment that if he's unable to discharge the duties of his office, and this doctor's handling those questions 
very, very well. The doctor said, look, I talked to this guy most days. There was no reason for me to believe that we needed to dig into his uh, mental psyche right. here. And, but they did. He did said he did a, a cognitive test and everything right. went fine. So. All right. Coming up next, Chris Carlo joins us. All the latest coming out of that Paris family that oh. we all heard about yesterday. And more about the sister of the mom. This is crazy. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. And he needed a pass a test to drive, to do a lot of things, really. I always thought you should have to pass a test to have kids. You know, make sure that uh, you're all there. Well, sometimes kids, even if you're all there at the, at the outset, uh, they'll take it away from you. No. Yep. Well, maybe in your case. Just saying. Suck the life out of you. Talking about the house that authorities were able to get into after a 17-year-old girl escaped from it with a cell phone she had stolen from inside, called 911, and had even pictures to show the deputies who spoke with her about her brothers and sisters being held captive. When authorities got there, they found uh, some kids chained up. Chris Ancarlo has been on the story from the beginning and joins us now. Chris, what Man. is... Uh, You know, the question I wanted to ask and I kept trying to ask over and over again was where she got the cell phone and if those pictures were taken on the cell phone because they described it as a deactivated cell phone. Every time I went to ask that question, um, there was another question that was instead answered. Well, you can call 911 on a deactivated cell phone, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I want, you know, what I'm curious about is um, how that cell phone ended up in her possession. If, If it was an old phone of the parent or if it was... You know, maybe one of the older siblings. I don't know. There are so many questions that are yet to be answered in this case. And, of course, it all started with that phone call early Sunday morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, when that 17-year-old reached out to police via 911 on a deactivated cell phone after sneaking out of a window. Deputies showed up. They talked to her. She showed them the pictures. They went into the house. They found at least three kids chained to furniture inside that house when they went in there. And uh, and then in the conversation with the parents, I mean, first off, the mom seemed perplexed as to even why. Why the police had showed up and uh, the conversation they could not explain adequately to police why these kids were in the condition that they were. And it wasn't just that the three were chained up, but also that it was dark, it was grimy, it smelled bad, and that these kids looked incredibly malnourished. And that's the thing that you hear over and over again is is how skinny these kids were and also how pale they were, showing that they were never outside. And uh, that is, I think, what turned everything from you know just a a 17 year old kind of complaining about her parents to suddenly oh my goodness we have arguably one of the biggest child welfare cases in uh in this county's history right in front of us and and immediately you know the two were booked the parents david and louise were booked for uh torture and child endangerment and now we're starting to unravel the past of this couple we're starting to learn more about their characters starting to learn more about uh, what they did and perhaps how they were able to control these kids ranging in age from 2 to 29 years old that's what boggles the mind i just feel like because the kids were under their control at those ages, you know, seven of the kids from 18 to 29, they must have been under their parents' control for years, for decades, I guess, in some cases. 
in what we heard from the officials that spoke, so we heard from um, not only law enforcement, but also from medical officials who obviously they can't get into the details of these kids because of HIPAA and a lot of other uh, reasons, but they can speak generally about the idea of malnourishment and um, the, the fact that the state of malnourishment in which they were found would have been precipitated by a, what they call a prolonged period of malnourishment. So it, it wasn't just something where the parents decided to stop feeding them, you know, Last week or last month or last year, this is something that had gone on for a long time because the children's growth appears to have been stunted. The police talking about how these kids, uh, you know, the adult kids seemed like they were children when they first encountered them. The 17-year-old deputies originally thought she was a 10-year-old because, again, so thin, so frail, and presumably because the growth had been stunted. So... It's just uh, the the amount of time, at the very least since 2014, that's when they moved to Paris from Murrieta and before that from Texas to California. Um, And, you know, obviously we see all these postings on social media that that just make this even more bizarre, where they're in Disneyland having a great time, where they're in Vegas having a great time. And the fact that they even have a social media profile, this Mm. family, is, uh, is unbelievable. Well, I fell down that hole last night, unfortunately, and my wife and I had the same question. Why did why did the postings stop about two years ago i think april 2016 is the last time we saw any facebook post uh posts from from either one of them by the way they share a facebook profile that's a warning sign um if (laughs) if uh do we know anything about their personal history the parents uh in terms of financially or job wise that may have precipitated a change in behavior a couple years ago you know, there was a uh, there was a declaration of bankruptcy back in 2011 um, for between uh, I think it was 100 and 400 thousand dollars, 500 thousand um, dollars. The father was a uh, he worked for defense defense contractors, uh, most recently Northrop Grumman, um, and you know that that's really the the only big red flag I think is the bankruptcy that uh, that was you know back in 2011. But you also have to think about I mean. Pretty much this entire county was under the same economic woes in this hangover from the you know 2008 recession, which hit Riverside County so hard um, that you know to to pin it on that I think is is a difficult thing to do. Certainly, it's a possibility, but you know we're we're also kind of getting little glimmers as to what made this family tick from you know even a religious perspective, and you know perhaps there was something that was driving them. Um, down this path that was not necessarily, uh, how do I put it? It, it, it perhaps was religiously themed that they, they had taken a teaching and had taken it to its extreme. Uh, we can't get confirmation on that. I mean, the police didn't want to talk about it, and certainly none of the other officials here wanted to talk about it. If your parents are both nuts and you're in a vacuum, are you in turn nuts? And then do you think that nuts is normal? You know what I mean? Listen, if they were so yeah, cut, if this was yeah. a family that was cut off and just kind of created its own weather, you know, I mean, if it just kind of created its own ecosystem there in that house with just crazy making, because when the mother is, was uh, confronted with authority, she didn't understand why they would be there. Why would they be there? Even though she has three kids behind her chained to furniture. Yeah, the... Um Okay, so I had I had a list of questions that I wanted to get answered at the, at that news conference, and the last question I was able to sneak in, literally the last question of the day, was the adult kids. Do they want to go back home to mom and dad? Um, because I think that tells you a lot if that's the case. If they have been rescued, they've been taken to a hospital, they've been fed, and they've gone through all the interviews. 
did they want to go back home? Uh, and they could not answer that question because it's part of the investigation. What I will tell you is that there was um, certainly a pause before that answer was given to me. And I, it is my hunch that perhaps one of these kids or many of these kids did, in fact, want to go home. This is all um, they know. I mean, those exactly. are their parents. That's yeah. all well, they know. That, that it, to them is love. Like, that is their definition it, of it. And, and beyond that, there were accounts from neighbors of these kids driving around, um, of the older kids driving around. I haven't been able to confirm that, you know, obviously with authorities, but from what neighbors are saying is that the kids at times were on their own and did not reach out. So you have to think, you know, you look at this and, um, Gary, I think you, you, you understand the stability of, of the mind of a 17 year old. I mean, like that, if you're going to rebel, it's going to be between that age of like 14 and, and 18. Right. And, um, perhaps that's what we saw is the, the, the mentality of one kid kind of in that sweet spot of rebellion and, and able to take the courageous act of climbing out the window, finding a phone and, uh, saying, Hey, I, I'm going to reach out and call police. There's just so much, you know, we, we still have to unpack. And, um, you know, we saw a report from ABC overnight about they contacted the mom and dad of David. And, um, you know, they said that they were essentially estranged. You know, they, they didn't really talk to the family in many years. Um, but there was certainly this belief that they were very religious in, in how they handled their household children you know memorizing long tracts of the bible if not the entire bible and you know devoted to that sort of teaching also on top of it the homeschooling you know all of these things come together to to paint a portrait of um really a very controlled environment of information well reporters were able to track down this sister of the mom and we'll talk about that when we come back chris and carlo thank you so much appreciate it of course yeah in the meantime guys all right, latest on uh, on this coming up in just a second. Terry and Shannon, an opportunity for you to win $1,000 right now. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. Don't forget, you got to answer that phone. If you win, they will give you a call. But if you don't win, why stick around for next hour. John and Ken will give you $1,000 tell you how you can win all the way through Conway at 620 tonight. The sister of that mother out of Paris is talking. Says she hasn't seen her sister in 19 years. Hey, that's not normal. I know people have falling outs, fallings out, falling outs, fallings out, but that's not normal. She says we've been so worried about them because it's been so strange, but there was nothing we could do. They wouldn't let anyone visit. We didn't know their address. Okay. This woman is a an author and a Christian motivational speaker. Okay, look at. Do you see this picture I have right here? I don't know if it. Yes, she's, sir. She's writing the words "Unstoppable Warriors for Christ." Okay, which is fine. It's great. I don't know what that is, if it's a group or if she's... Here's the thing. If you know that it's weird that you haven't kept in touch, uh, that you haven't seen, physically seen your sister for 19 years, you've not seen the children, that when your parents go to visit them, she, she describes a couple of times where her parents would buy plane tickets, fly out to California to visit their daughter, and she would not tell them where she lived. Well, she kept in touch with her sister by telephone, mm-hmm. but yeah, was not invited to the home, never let her speak to nieces and nephews. That would be weird, right? Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean, right? 
That is weird. Well, I know it's families go through weird times. Fine, it's fine. But if you're still talking to your sister for the over the phone all the time, you don't bring that up. Hey, here's a. How come I don't get to see my uh, my nieces and nephews? They don't want anyone talking to their kids, not even their aunt. They were the only ones that got to put things in their kids' brains. It's terrifying. I never thought about that. What Chris was just saying, asking the adult children here, what do you want to do? Because. I mean, they're going to get help from the county because I don't know what sort of functionality they have in society. If they could live on their own, if they could live as a group, what I don't know. But if you ask them if they wanted to go back and live with their parents, the frightening thing is that the prob- they would probably they, say yes. Because they don't know any different. All they have is this family. Whatever comfort they've been able to get out of life in whatever twisted way, this is where it's come from. The, all, all they know are their parents. They've been homeschooled from the beginning. It doesn't look like they got out much. The um, There is a question that was floating around late last night, and we've already gotten it a couple of times here, social media and email, about who is the who is the parent officially of the two-year-old? Are some of the younger kids the result of incest? And they said in the news conference today, there's no evidence no. to suggest that. There's no evidence that says that it's anybody but just the just mom and dad, David and Louise, and that's it. By the way, they are um, they are charged with nine counts of torture and ten counts of child endangerment each. So bail is at nine million dollars. They do not have any other sort of any documented criminal record. Uh, the law enforcement today was saying they've had no reason to be at that house. They never got any emergency calls or welfare calls or anything like that to this house. So they have uh, they have almost no legal footprint when it comes to having any sort of history. Um, but the Riverside County Superior Court records, uh, they are expected, I think, in court on Thursday to make an initial appearance. So this is this is going to this international story now because people around the world are uh, absolutely flabbergasted that you would. That's not the right word that you could do this. That You could have 15 people living in one house. Here's a question. Neighbors didn't know. How many other families are there like this? There's some. They're out there. Oh, I'm sure. More the story than you, about more story than about J.C. Dugard about she lived in the backyard of that guy's home for fit, what was it, 20 years? I mean, that's a disgusting version of this same story. We're gonna though. do welfare check on your house Give, this it. afternoon. Bring it, Gary and There's Shannon. I need to clean up. We've got Tasty Tuesday coming up next. We're going to be talking about lobsters. Mop up that stain. National, okay. Can we not? National Soup Month. Oh, I love soup. <laughs> and ripoffs at restaurants. Neil Saavedra is going to join us when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Hey, Oscar. Yes, Shannon. What's the difference between roast beef and pea soup? I'm not sure. What is the difference? Anyone can roast beef. <laughs> Blake does now. It took a moment there. No, I got that. I didn't know if it kept going. Uh, Gary and Shannon, it's Tuesday, January 20th or 16th. Something like that. Doing next week's show. Bless you. Flu. Someone has the flu. Don't. Don't fight that sneeze. You'll blow up your throat. You you always do too much. That's fine. Hush. I have like a reservoir full of hand sanitizer. <laughs> wow, buying a nickel. I 
She's got Purell Lake all over her hand. It's ninety percent alcohol. It evaporates. Don't lick it. Don't. Never mind. You know we don't, we once got Chris <laughs> Little to drink uh, hand sanitizer. That's one of those intervention shows uh, where kids uh, drinking hand sanitizer left and right. Oof. Gary cannot is... stop watching the freak show shows. TLC is is a bet. He's out of control. Yes, yes last night down last the night, rabbit hole. Last night, my legs won't stop growing. That was the title of the show. Tell him about the pimple popper. Uh, Dr. Pimple Popper, who has been a YouTube sensation for some time, now has a TV show, Dr. Pimple Popper. And My 600-Pound Life. Don't yeah, leave that one out. And uh, uh, it's family by the ton. Everybody needs gastric <laughs> bypass. My, what? what is oh wrong with God, you? God, give me the Purell now. Okay, yeah. you sneezed three you times today yeah, he, in, in fast succession. And that was a totally adequate amount. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. Hey, let's talk about some food stuff because Neil Savedra is the fork reporter. You hear him Saturdays right here on KFI from two to five. What? Why I'm, does everybody do that? I'm I drying that it off. I'm driving it. I'm driving. I'm drying it off. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday about uh, about lobsters and whether or not they feel it when you boil them to death. I miss Lobby Joe. I'd, I'd love. I'd love to hear your opinions on boiling crustaceans and whether or not it's. Uh, I love ugh. lobster. I feel terrible eating it. Here's, I think it's the majority of it is anthropomorphizing something that's not human. Applying very human attributes to something that's not human. It's not a mammal. We don't have any strong evidence. There's a lot of philosophical arguing going on. There's something called uh, nociception, and that is when you put pain stimuli or attach pain stimuli to something and see how it reacts. This, it, oh, for the love of Pete, go home already. Lock yourself now? in a freaking room and don't touch anything. I'm calling your husband oh right my now. Oh, gosh. Man, Paint patient skin. zero over here is <laughs> it's, it, there's going to be no one on the air in the next week. Let's call her H3N2. Jeez, little AIDS monkey. Anyway, wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> emails to Neil Savedra at iHeartMedia.com. Why? AIDS girl? AIDS no, monkey. AIDS, AIDS monkey. monkey? Yeah, wasn't that like a, one of the uh, <clears throat> whack theories originally? Is Let's that, move uh, on. Okay. Pain stimuli on the um, Okay. So, yes. And they watch <laughs> to see the reaction. The makeup of crustacean, in this case lobster, is very similar from what we know to that of a grasshopper or an insect. There is a lot of studies uh, dealing with insects and the, and the uh, it most likely being that they don't have pain. The reason why there's not an, there's not an evolutionary necessity for it to begin with because they don't live long. And they are, they reproduce uh, in hordes. So when it comes to lobsters, there's a lot of similarities there. They do not have uh, the cerebral cortex um, to process that pain. And they have very, very tiny brains. So all these things that we know about them, we the scientific community has passed on to the rest of us that – most likely they do not experience pain, certainly not the way we do. They may have what they call an escape reaction, which means that that clawing at the container is them trying to get out of the container. And they're, they're sensing the, the change in temperature, but they're not. But they're not registering it they're as not pain re- like not, No, they're not. Re- that, now, that's what I've heard. Now, the flip side to this is don't be an apple in life. And if we don't have a conclusive 
we don't have a place where we land scientifically where this is absolutely um, pain-inducing, um, then uh, I say err on the side of caution which and, is, and, and uh, humanness and humaneness. and Which is still killing them. I mean, yeah, you're still it, talking about but killing them to, to cook tor- them and eat them. You don't torture them. So, right. so this all comes down because uh, uh, Switzerland, uh, in, in addition to others, have made it illegal to put a live lobster in boiling water. What now, is the benefit to killing a lobster in that fashion? Excellent question, because I think this uh, you don't see that in any of the articles, right. and that's the absolute right question. Because of the nature of the crustacean, the best flavor is kept in that it, hap- it can only be contained if the animal is not dead. Uh, so they... Uh, lobster breaks down very quickly, as does shrimp, but lobster breaks down very quickly, and the, the, what makes it flavorful and the proper texture really is about getting it at that point and not freezing it and going through all that process. They are changing the technology when it comes to ice and the way they, they ship. It's really interesting to think, oh, ice is ice is ice, but they've created an ice with uh, that contains an, a certain amount of salt in it, that it's almost like liquid ice. And the problem with shipping uh, seafood and food in general in ice is that ice is usually a shape, right? It's either square or it's some shape, or whatever it is. It's not covering the entirety of the animal. Some of the ice is laying on the animal. Some of the nooks and crannies of the animal or the flesh is not being covered. Well, this, this liquid ice that I've actually seen in use for lobster um, covers every nook and cranny, and that may – change the way we deal with lobster in the future. But for right now, really, to get it in its prime state, uh, the best quality possible has to be immediately. And you just have to wonder, does it really need to be in its most prime state when you're dumping it into a vat of butter every bite you go? Well, I guess that's (laughs) for each individual to say. But I think it might be just something that, that, and this happens with chefs all over the place, um, Cooking is seen as an art form when really it's a science. It's both, but there's a lot of science there. And the art form, um, the kind of uh, teacher-apprentice attitude is is how it's passed down. And I think a lot of things, bad practices, are passed down in the culinary community because no one asks questions of their superior when they're being taught. And it's like, this is how I do it. And I think that there's probably leeway for that. I think that if they looked – at it that there might be some leeway as to how to do this without putting a live lobster in there just because that's the way everybody's been doing it. But, and to solve the problem in, in terms of you don't want to you don't want a lobster sitting around be, basically beginning to rot so you would just mechanically destroy destroy the brain I think is one of the ways they put it or even knock it unconscious with an electric shock just before you put it in the boiling water. There's a couple of things. Well, it, funny enough in in uh, 2013 is when they did a study with crabs dealing with electric shock, and that that uh, nociception is was one of the things that they noticed. Now we can tell if something recoils or something moves, but we can't tell whether that's a pain response. It could be just reflexive. Um, let's say there's somebody who's brain dead. If you put electricity through them, they're going to move. It's not because they're necessarily feeling pain or processing pain anymore. It's that their muscles are resp- responding to the electricity. So. Um, when it comes to this, 
there are uh, different methods that they can use. Some are saying that you can put a lobster live in the freezer and it will slow itself down and numb it to the point where it puts in, you put it in the pot and it'll be fine. Okay, I want to talk about uh, soups because this is a good lobster soup, soup season. Like a bisque? Oh. And, oh, I love a lobster. And uh, biggest ripoffs at restaurants when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. We're with Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter. And- you know you can't keep the ground from shaking. No matter how hard you try, you can't keep the sunsets from fading. You gotta treat your life like you're jumping off a swing, baby, because the whole thing's really just a shot in the dark. You gotta Gary and Shannon like there's no talking with Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter. Soup stuff. It is National Soup Month, and uh, we had some chicken soup last week. I think it was. Lasted for a couple days. Made a little extra. That's got to be one of the secrets, right? Make extra soup. Oh, yeah. Soup is one of those things that freezes very well. The one thing I would suggest, though, when you're making soup and you're going to freeze it, don't add noodles to it. Right. Um, because learn that. it sucks when you try and thaw it out or reheat it. Um, and two, to put it in, uh, if you're going to have it in single portions, then freeze it in single portions. Uh, if you're going to reheat the whole thing again, then you can put it in a, in a gallon uh, Ziploc bag. And the cool thing to do when you're freezing soups is you put it into a Ziploc bag, um, you zip it up, you lay it flat on a cookie sheet, put it in the freezer and let it freeze for eight hours. Uh, and then it's like a book, and you could stack them like books, and oh, they yeah. take up way less space rather than putting them in the Tupperware and stacking them up. Um, what about the vegetables? And my wife does this, and I never understood why, but you put the vegetables like the onions and the garlic and everything, you saute them before you put them into the soup. Does that release something that wouldn't be released if you just threw it in hot water? Well, yeah, those are uh, the aromatics, or that's your mirepoix. Your mirepoix is, the, is your... Uh, your carrots, your onions, and um, uh, your, uh, you know, other celery. And then you can put garlic or what have you. But really you want that stuff in there to uh, create those first flavors. Now, they, all that, that great smell and aroma that comes off them is them releasing their uh, liquids and all that flavor bits. And it's getting a little bit of a fond or a little bit of the residue on the bottom and all that's going to be soaked up into that liquid when you put the liquid in there so yeah you want to sweat them down and get those flavors out and how do you thicken it up you throw flour in that or do you put milk or cream or it depends there's uh there's a bunch of different types of soups of which cream soups are one and that's different than just thickening up a soup so if uh, oftentimes if you're thickening up a soup you're going to use a roux uh same way you would thicken a gravy so you're going to use uh, flours, equal parts flour and equal parts fat or butter, and you're using that as a thickener. And you shall that will, whisk it up there. Yeah, just whisk it up like this, yeah. and then you put it in. You can also use a slurry, which is uh, water and like cornstarch, and then mixing that in there. It depends what you're doing. Some soups are actually thickened with egg whites and all kinds of things, but you can use cream and, and the like if it's a cream soup. It's depending on what you're making. We'll have to get to these uh, restaurant ripoffs next week when we talk because there's some good ones in there as well. Let's do it. All right. John. Yes. How are you? Good. Were you ever chained to any furniture? Uh, no. No, that wasn't done to me. Do you think that these kids. <laughs> there, there were other things. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I was not chained to furniture specifically, no. So the other things that you just thought that that was the way kids were disciplined, right? 
Uh, you, you don't know any better. You don't you know figure, any better. Uh, this is going on in everybody's house. That's what I think these kids were thinking. Well, <laughs> I, a lot of the neighbors never knew they existed. So, and that when they were seen, they looked like albinos. They were so pale. And there were only three or four of them at a time, ever. Even though there uh, were 13 in that house, the neighbors all yeah. said there would be three on the lawn or two out there helping with yeah, the nativity scene. They, they were or... probably chained in shifts. You couldn't have them all free at the same time because then there'd be a rebellion. You made a really good point, though, yesterday. You said when your kids were little, it was impossible to get them all to go to bed. It was like a fight every night with three little boys. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine having 13 kids and how much fight that would be to get them to do? Not if, what? You, well, not if you chain a few of them. You're the supposed to learn. cycle them out. There's no excuse for the 29-year-old being in there. Yeah. That's the thing. If you have, if you spread them out. But no, the, the more you – I always thought three is probably maximum optimal. Yes. And then when you get to a fourth or a fifth – now you've got too you're, many. You're, and, in a, and, you're in a cover two defense at that point. Yeah. Someone hits the seam. As the yeah. only one here from a family of seven kids, yeah. trust me, you got to train the older ones right. to keep the Take younger ones in line. Oh. And then you, it's yeah, like a gang little, mentality. Maybe there was a little of that going on. Hmm. Oh, yeah. like It looked like any of those older kids could raise a I hand against. I don't know. I think there's some special needs issues. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that whole thing. And a, and a question to ask. Chris Carlo actually thought this and wanted to ask it at the news conference today. If you asked those adult children if they would want to go back and live with mom and dad, how many of them would say yeah, yes? Of course. That's all they know. It's Stockholm. Yeah, they probably would. They probably would. They're probably very upset that, uh, that the cops that, broke it up. Right. That's These are the only people they've known in their whole life. So and weird. now they're all going to get separated and... Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk to Chris as soon as the uh, news is over. Excellent. See what else is going on. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. That, that was a good show. I really like them. Gary and Shannon.